may be seated. Turn with me to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, a cry for help. I think one of the most important things when you read the Old Testament, and you, in fact, any place in the Bible, look for Jesus. Lo, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me. So says the Psalms, right? It's quoted in Hebrews 10, 7. So it's imperative. If it's the book is about Jesus, then we should be looking for Jesus, right? And I think you, it's hard to miss him in this one. <laughs> you really, you know, whatever was going on in David's life, but we know that he was a prophet. We know that he was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he wrote these things. But I, I find it amazing that he was able to take what was going on in the inside, not only make it a prayer. It's one thing for us to pray like we pray, but it's another thing to take what we pray and put it into music. That is just, that is just wow. Because that songs take distilled thought. You have to really think about it. You got to process it. And what's the best way for me to say this and then make it harmonize in words? You know, those words in a song. I mean, in a melody. It just, it's, you know, for all you musicians, bless your hearts. <laughs> your ability to do that. But just want to read through. Uh, this is a longer one, uh, 36 verses, so uh, we'll cover the main points of it uh, here tonight. But just l let me read uh, here. Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I've come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without cause are more than the hairs of my head. They are mighty who would destroy me, being the enemy, my enemies wrongfully. And though I have stolen nothing, I still must restore it. Oh God, you know my foolishness. My sins are not hidden from you. Let not those who wait for you, O oh Lord God of hosts, be ashamed because of me. Let not those who seek you be confounded because of me, O oh God of Israel. Because you're, for your sake I have borne reproach. Shame has covered my face. I've become a stranger to my brothers and an alien to my mother's children because zeal for your house has eaten me up and the reproaches of those who reproached you have fallen upon me. And when I wept, I chastened my soul with fasting and that became my reproach. I also made sackcloth for my garment. I became a byword to them, those who sit in the gate and speak against me. I am a song of the drunkards. But as for me, my prayer is to you, O Lord, in the acceptable time. O God, in the multitude of your mercy, hear me in truth of your salvation. Deliver me out of the mire. Let me not sink. Let me be delivered from those who hate me and out of the deep waters. Let not the flood water overflow me, nor let the deep swallow me up. Let me not the pit, let not the pit shut its mouth on me. 
Hear me, O Lord, for your loving kindness is good. Turn to me according to your multitude of your tender mercies, and do not hide your face from your servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw near to my soul and redeem it. Deliver me because of my enemies. You know my reproach, my shame, my dishonor. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and their well-being a trap. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see, and make their loins shake continually. Pour out your indignation upon them, and let the wrathful anger take hold of them. Let them, let their dwelling place be desolate, and that not one live in their tents. For they persecute the ones who have, you have struck, and they talk of grief of those you have wounded. Add iniquity to their iniquity, and let them not come into your righteousness. Let them be blotted out of the book of the living, and not be written with the righteous. But I am poor and sorrowful. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name, your name, the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. These also shall please the Lord better than an ox or a bull which has horns and hooves. The humble shall see this and be glad. And you who seek God, your heart shall live. For the Lord hears the poor and does not despise his prisoners. Let heaven and earth praise him and the seas and everything that moves in them. For God will save Zion and build the gates of Judah that there may dwell there and possess it. And also the descendants of the servant shall inherit it. And those who love his name shall dwell in it. Amen. We really don't know exactly when David wrote this. I am of the opinion, um, probably later in his life, after he had committed sins and had brought reproach to the Lord and uh, brought shame to the nation, people died because of his taking you know, a census when he should not have taken a census and he was reproved by Joab for attempting to do it and making Joab do it. Uh, you know, of course, you, you can't forget the Bathsheba affair that was always going to be there. And people choose to remember your sins and that's part of it. But you obviously see some of this is speaking of Jesus directly. It's a fulfillment, the gall, drinking the, you know, the vinegar and all. But, you know, he's in the first four verses, he's talking simply about being overwhelmed. Of course, none of us can relate to that, right? We've never been overwhelmed once in our life. That's, this what, that's what life is about in this side of heaven. We, if you're not overwhelmed at some point in time in your life, you're probably not breathing well. I mean, it's going to happen, especially in our fast-paced world, right? You know, so we see David just simply crying out because he's, he's filled with just too much. It's just too much. How much is too much? Well, it's different for everybody, right? Could be a lot of little things that just have piled up on him. Could be maybe just a few large things that are just overwhelming him. I mean, you don't really know. I mean, you know, is, you know, potentially he could be on the run from Saul. I don't think that's the case here, but... Uh, you know, could you imagine that 
being part of his track record on the run like the marauders you know there's the raiders you know they just live out and about and they steal from everybody well they're not doing that but they're actually protecting people's property and raiding the philistines and you know he he had those situations where he come back and you know keela uh, got raided and he delivered them from the philistines and then they're ready to turn him over to somebody i mean he just had all kinds of hassles in his life and then, of course, you know, what happened towards the end with the betrayal of his son. I mean, he's carrying a lot. You know, maybe he's looking at his administration and thinking, man, who do I trust anymore? You know, now that people have kind of filtered through this, my sins and, and all, who knows? But let's go from David to think about Jesus for a moment. Now, one of the things that you notice about Jesus is I don't ever notice that he's in a hurry. Can you imagine Jesus running to, to, because he's got to get something done? <laughs> it's just totally out of character, to me, anyway, right? Um, I don't see him running anywhere. He never appears to be in a hurry. He walks everywhere. Never got a speeding ticket because <laughs> he's in a rush. You know, he even sleeps on boat rides. I mean, this guy seems to be pretty chill most of the time, I would say. Um, he is just simply, for three and a half years, just going about his father's business. You know, how do we get overwhelmed? You know, I, that's really, I probably shouldn't be the one talking about this, right? <laughs> Taking too much on, or just, it comes, whether you like it or not, you know, because what, we read this the other day, it, uh, the Gospel of Luke, too much is given, much will be required, and too people... You know, do more, more will be asked of them. And this is what happens to faithful people. It's easy for them to get a lot more put on their plate than, than they want. Sometimes it's hard for people that are faithful to say no. And I think that it's a little here and a little there. You know, one of the things that's happened to me, and it seems to happen to me more than I desire to to do, honestly, is to when I help people move and I take care of, you know, they want to give me things. We're moving, so here, would you take this? Well, you know, some of them are older folks, and this just recently happened to a client that I had for a few years, and I, I just really liked the guy, so I sort of just cave. <laughs> and he, he's 75. He, he's got too much on his plate, and he's got too much stuff, and so I'll take care of it. I'll get rid of it for you. You know, but... I've got my own stuff I'm trying to thin out. <laughs> and when am I going to go to the dump or go down to the habitat and unload the stuff? And it's kind of like that. You know, it may not be junk and like the stuff that he's getting rid of. He knows that it, the reason why he still has it is because there's some value to it. And somebody could surely, you know, get some good use out of this yet. And it's, you know, we who are pack rats have that problem. Like, well, but you have to learn how to thin it out, right? And so this is, this is kind of what we do on a commitment level sometimes. People ask us for things. Time is one of those things. And that's okay. You know, we do it. But if you continue to do it, pretty soon you, where's your, how, are, how is it that you're not resting? How is it that I'm no longer resting? Because now I'm doing more than I should be doing and I'm, now I've got to hurry because I've taken on a little bit more and I've got to spend more effort, more time. So this is not an easy thing to sort out in our lives.
You know, when we're younger, we just suck it up and we just do it. But when we get older, we realize, you know what? I can't do this anymore, <laughs> right? You know, we really couldn't do it when we were younger, but we were not experienced enough in our life to realize we shouldn't be doing that. This is what we strive for in a simple, condensed form, a balanced life. Jesus was just chill to me. He went from place to place. When these people would come, hurry, my daughter's dying. You know, could you imagine that emotion just coming into the scene? You know, I need you to come right now. And Jesus is not, he's probably walking at a pretty good pace, trying to get through the crowd and doing the best they can, but he's not jogging. He's at the Lord's pace. And if we could just understand, we think God's requiring of us a lot more sometimes than he really is. I think that is, you know, and this takes that time alone. That's why he spent time in prayer every day. He's like, okay, what's the agenda today, Lord? Where are we going today? What are we doing today? And you know what? He didn't reach the whole world. Not everybody in Israel was healed. Not everybody was saved, unfortunately. And he just took 12 motley crew members and taught them how to walk with God. That was Jesus' ministry. He taught 12 really in depth. And three of those got, you know, a little harder treatment. A little more. He was harder on those three for whatever reason. They learned more. Because there was their little t- tight-knit group there. He took them places that the others didn't go. Everybody has their calling and their place. And, but this is what David is describing. Waters, deep waters, mires, overflow. You know, sometimes I think this would involve relationships. You know, it's one thing to have a full schedule and be weighted down by the activity that doesn't really affect you emotionally other than the fact that you just need to get this done. It doesn't talk back to you. It just irritates you because it's not done. But what can gravel you and irritate you and rub you the wrong way is if you've got a relationship that isn't as it should be. And I think that's the deep mires. I think that's the overflow. That's just more than a guy wants to bear. When you, these people are accusing him, you know, blaming, hating him without cause. I mean, I, nobody, everybody wants to be loved, right? Who, I don't really care what people think. You know, yes, you do. If you're honest with yourself, we do care about what people think, at least to some degree. And if we, someone hates us, well, dude, what I ever do to you? You know, like the guy that, you know, gives you the one-way signal at the stoplight for just being there. Really? I didn't cut you off? You didn't do anything to me? Why are you doing that to me? Are you just an angry person? Probably. You know, nobody wants to be like, you know, of course that ruffles the guy's feathers, right? (laughs) You know, those things happen. But then you start reflecting inwardly. It's the natural thing to do. Well, wait a minute. What did I do? And so he goes on, verses 5 through 12, and he talks about his shame. Sin always brings shame. You start having this inward reflection, like, okay, what have I done for someone to not like me? What have I done to offend somebody? You know, you, you do that inventory. And you just, at some point in time, you got to stop. You just can't do that. Confess our sin. Be honest with yourself. Look, I, you know, I think I've got this. God sees. That's what he's saying there. You see and you know and God still loves me. 
Here it is, Lord. And he says, hope in God. Everything, all these situations, being over, you know, overwhelmed, crushed, you confess your sins, the shame is lifted, we're forgiven, and just trust God. Our hope is in him. There's no, there's no dishonor in that at all. So one of the things, I don't know how you pray through these kinds of things, but when it comes to living a balanced life, it's really easy to get off in the weeds here, there, and and get hung up on stuff. We all have to fight that, to be disciplined, to stay the course. And that's how you pray. Lord, bring me into the zone. where Jesus was always in, seemed to be always in his zone. He never did anything outside the Father's will. As I hear, I do. Wow, that is an incredible statement to be made. I do the works of my Father. I mean, he, he stayed in the zone. God, bring me and keep me in the zone. Not to take on more than I'm supposed to. Learn how to, for me, it's learning how to say no. Or here's the other thing. Getting some help. You ever thought about maybe you have all this to do in your life and it's your, your, you, because they're probably all good things, but you probably need some help. This is why the body of Christ is so important, not that you can dump all your troubles on people <laughs> and load them down and get them overwhelmed, but we're here to help one another. We really are. You know, um, God help us. Reproach is a, a hard thing that Jesus had to deal with, and it's mentioned here in these verses, verse 8, these broken relationship, and everybody piling on. You know, it's just, it's just I give you, encourage you to just spend some time in the psalm, especially if you're overwhelmed. G- David experienced that Jesus was probably at that point, I can't, how could you not be overwhelmed in Gethsemane? I mean, to the point where, pop, he's sweating blood. That, but that was the cup. So it's not sin to experience this. It can happen because it is the cup that you're supposed to drink. This was the cup that he had to drink. So it's not, we're not going to be f- kept from our, our hour. But we have to pray through it. And this is what he does in verses 13 through 28. He accepts the cup, whatever it is that is in that zone, because he's been praying daily to walk in the Father's plan. It doesn't make it easier, but he's accepted. He's praying for mercy. Verse 14, verse 18, he's praying for deliverance. You know, if this cup be possible, let it pass from me. Lord, it's according to your, your loving kindness, your hesed, your loyal love and grace towards me. He's asking God to hear him. Verse 16, he's praying for God's presence. What more do we need in the midst of our, our pain and sorrow? We need God's presence. That's why, this is why I don't understand how people can go without the presence of God in, 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 the, in the assembly of the saints. I know there's a few of us here tonight, but God is here when you worship you are lifted. You are transformed. You leave this, your spirit sort of like leaves this zone and you enter into the heavenly zone and you are enriched when you connect with God. 
I'm staying on Wednesday nights. I'm staying in the midweek for that very reason. God deserves to be worshipped. And I want to engage with him as often as I can with my brothers and sisters. That's just a strong conviction that I have. And I'm not going to let off the gas. (laughs) Draw me near is his prayer. I know that you know, verse 19, he's saying of God. And then he zeroes in on those who are bringing the pain to him. He's surrounded by the wicked, those who are reproaching him, those who are mean-spirited. And he said, destroy their fellowship. Blind them, verse 23. Let them sense your displeasure. You know, we see this wickedness in the world, and I, I tell you what, the Bible says that God's wick, angry with the wicked every day. I don't know how he keeps his, stays his hand from just, I've had enough. And he could do that in a moment. Crush the wicked, but he doesn't. You know, there's some underhanded stuff. We were listening to a lady that is from Maui. She knows the area, grew up there. And she goes through just a testimony of what is being reported is not what's going on there and what has happened. And there's more than, um, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye, let's just put it that way. Not in a conspiracy, but there are no coincidences either. It's, I just find it interesting that the likes of Bill Gates, who's the Facebook guy? Who? Zuckerberg, Obama. It's interesting that their places completely preserved. Nothing happened to their stuff. But on the other side of the street. But on the other yes, charbroiled, gone. Kids are on their little paddle boards in the ocean watching this place burn and their homes burn to the ground. And then we, you know, we have a little kitchen fire at the president's house. So this is just, I mean, how does anybody tolerate this? be honest but if you know that kind of stuff just of course it makes our blood boil it's just it's madness just these people are insanely hard-hearted and there's no compassion these people are just ordinary people that have had their hopes and their lives crushed and they're not getting the help that they deserve and it's just going to be a land grab if you want. You pay attention to this in the future. They're going to steal their land. Yeah, they're going to. They're going to. They're, the insurance companies are not going to rebuild their houses, and the prices of materials are going to. Sky, you know, it's just going to be impossible for them to rebuild. They're going to have to sell their property. And guess who's there? To, it's just a land grab. I've, we've seen this play before, and I just, you know, Lord. Let them sense your displeasure. God judge them. And I mean, hold nothing back. Let them reap a hundredfold what they have sown. And that's kind of how I pray. I have, you know, I, I totally get David. I totally get breaking out the teeth of these people. You know, I love the Old Testament for that. Sometimes I wish we would get a little more kinetic. <laughs> but we can't, right? And I, you know, this is off the beaten path a little bit. You know, we all, I hate to go on feelings, okay? I'm not trying to do that at all. But I think there's a strong sense that there's something ominous on the horizon. 
You cannot continue to just do this kind of stuff without some answer from heaven. You know, it's like, I don't think the Lord's going to sit on his throne with his folded hands and watch all this continue to happen when the church and people that love him are crying out to him. He will move. And when God begins to move, see, this is, this is what we, I think this is the right framework to see this. It's going to get really tough on the ungodly because judgment starts in the house of God and we see that already happening. But he's going to judge the wicked for their sins. This is a, the, we should, as the church, should be focused on this is a time for revival because when it gets dark and there's traumatic things that happen, people turn to God. Most people come to God out of need. So this, this kind of living, this destroying of our foundation is going to cause great need in the lives of many people. And that's why we have to be in the zone and stay in the zone so we, are, we can be his vessels to bring the gospel and bring these people into the kingdom and, and help them understand the ways of God. So it's judgment for the wicked, but it's revival in a sense too. So you, you get... There's a lot of emotions involved in this. Now, verses 29 through 36, as we finish this here, um, he's really describing sacrificial worship. Like, you know, for some of us, and let's be honest, Wednesday night, you've worked all day, you're tired. You've been doing stuff all week. You're halfway through, you know, it's hump day. You're halfway through the week and you're already wasted, right? But let's just say that you, you're, you're in your life, you've taken on too much or you've had too much put on your plate. You're overwhelmed. You're deep in the mire. It's overflowing. You're drowning in whatever. You're in pain. You know, you've got to, pour, so you, you come to church, let's be honest, there's sometimes we come to church, we have a poor state of mind. And sometimes our heart's not right where it should be, right? That's pain. Verse 29 describes some of that. Well, you got to have the attitude of praise the Lord anyway. And that's really how you overcome it. You just forge through it and magnify the Lord. Just, I don't care. God will take care of it. I just want to love you and forget about everything else. That's, in simple terms, what we do, right? And that's what he t- uh, tells us to do in verse 32. Just seek the Lord. The humble shall see this, and you who seek God. That's what we do. And when we're overwhelmed, the most important thing for you and I to do is seek the Lord. Not run and hide in our closet, but seek God. Go to your closet, your prayer closet, get down on your knees and seek the face of God. Seek his presence. That's really what we're doing. We want his presence. And that only comes through humility. So you allow those circumstances that have brought you pain and sorrow to humble your heart and not get angry with God. Just, okay. And I'm probably in that season of my life right now. I've been building for four years. I've, you know, I'm kind of like shutting that down in my mind. It's like it's not, I'll get there whenever I get there. I'm, the Lord's blessed me enough to get my situation under control. And I just... I'll take it as it comes. I don't care. I'm going to do what I have been called to do and I know it's most important. And that's a good place to get through. You've got to wrestle through some of this stuff when you're overwhelmed. And then verse 70, or Psalm 70 is a real quickie, a little short one here. And we're only, next week we'll finish book uh, two and um, 
we'll move on to uh, another book for the time being. We'll come back to Psalms again later on and go through another book, the third book of the Psalms. But Psalm 70 is a prayer for help. <laughs> and I don't know that these two are connected, but it, it would surprise me if they were. But the first thing uh, is out of his lips in this Psalm is, hurry, Lord, make haste. <laughs> so when you're overwhelmed, right, Help, hurry up, don't wait, come now, help me. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and confounded who seek my life. Let them be turned back and confused who desire my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, <laughs> let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And let those who love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy. Make haste to help me, O oh God. You are my help and my deliverer. Oh, Lord, do not delay. And again, here we are, you know, praying for God to hasten the process to deliver us from our shame, from those who want to hurt us. And then, you know, just let all those who seek you rejoice. And See, he's talking about the congregation there. You see how important brothers and sisters are? I'm telling you, we need each other. The family of God is such, without the family, nobody remains balanced in their walk without good fellowship. It's so easy for you and I to get off in the weeds and, and you know, there's too much information to, to get off in, in wrong thinking. You can, your heart can get hard. You can become angry. You, th you know, you think you know more than you really do. I mean, it just, it, it, it's not good. There's a balance that is maintained in your life when you have good, strong, healthy relationships outside your family, but with the family of God. And so there's a unity, there's a uniting of heart and mind. It's just so healthy. So just an encouragement, a cry for help. Uh, so that kind of leads us into our prayer time. We are a people that are crying for help, are we not? In our country, in our world, in our lives, our families.